Good morning. Good day. Jambro. Assalamu alaikum. Wow. <laughs> Some people are just. A <laughs> um, message today is Vision Part 2. Uh, for those of us who are not here last Sunday, like Steve, uh, uh, we've been looking at outreach from July and August, and uh, the last couple of weeks we've been looking at the vision. And uh, for us as a church, the vision is a message of Christ. Is a message that Christ has given us, believe us, before even do anything else. And uh, our focus has been on the book of Acts. We have been looking into that. But before I share that, I'd like to just appreciate Dennis. Dennis, where are you hiding this morning? Oh, he's teaching, yeah. Dennis and the Men are putting up together a special men Sunday on the 14th of August. Can hear some men in the house bring some shouting? Men, where are you? I want to hear those basses in the house. Yeah, we have a special Sunday with a, a special guest speaker celebrating men in Kerang. So please, if you have someone at home, whether it's young, old, or small, invite them to come on that 14th of August. We want to celebrate men. And uh, Dennis was telling me that we'll have a barbecue at the end of the service. So please, come prepare to, not only to feed spiritually, but also to feed this part. Um, I know Heather mentioned about prayer. Prayer next Sunday we're still on, so please make time to come and join us for that as well. If you came with your Bible, please turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 12. I'm going to read from verse 1 up to 5. But if you don't have your Bible, I'll have it on the screen. Our theme today is count the cost. Count the cost. Many of us, you, you have to have like a small potter's house in Kerang, but you don't want to pay the cost of potter's house in America. Some of us, you want to have like youth alive that I've seen in Sydney and other places. It's a, it's a desire. It's a goal. But we don't know to pay the cost of that. For some, you just want to have a home that everybody's going to heaven. He's born again, thoroughly born again. And, but the cost is just scary. For some of us, you look at... Uh, for some of us, you look at the social media or the, the TV, and you look at some of these wonderful, wonderful marriages that are being presented. They, of course, sometimes it's just acting. And you say, God, I wish my home was there. They tell you the top families in the world. 
but the cost is a scary. And today, as you look at this book, I want to think about your vision and the cost of that vision. I'd like us to invite us for us to stand for the reading. If you can stand for the reading. Those of us who are able to stand, but if you are not able to, please don't stand. <laughs> Sorry? Yeah, we're going to read together. The Bible says that it was about this time the king Herod arrested some who belonged to the church. Attending, he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to say, Peter, and this happened during the festival of unlived bread. Hanging, put for me up, please. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Okay. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four cords of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying for God for him. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you even for the price you paid on the cross for us to experience and to celebrate this life. And today, as we look at the work of the apostles in the book of Acts chapter 12, Lord, I pray that your presence and your Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As I mentioned earlier, my focus today is for us to think about the cost. The cost of not only what we are talking about, but everything we do. And in the book of Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus said, That you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This was the key message, the vision, the desire of our Lord Jesus Christ. That the message will not just be in Jerusalem, but the people all over the world, Samaria, and around Kenya, Tanzania, Kerang, and everywhere else, people get to know Christ. But as we looked last week in the book of Acts chapter 10, Peter saw the desire. Peter saw the vision. Peter saw the heart of Jesus Christ. Peter experienced a bit of that on the day of the Pentecost. But Peter, because of the Jewish and cultural settings, Peter was not able to step into some homes, in some places, in some communities. 
Peter was still bound by the culture of not sharing and fellowshipping together with the communities of the Samaritans or the Gentiles and other these are communities that are not Jewish. And God, because had the desire, and God saw the heart of Peter. God gave Peter the vision of various animals, as he saw. And Peter was, I could say, use the word a bit frustrated. And for me, I would be disappointed, like I said last week. Hanging before me animals that I don't even eat in my culture. That would be leading to emotional abuse. So whatever you call it, now abuse is used so much. <laughs> Abusing my rights and other things, hanging animals that I don't supposed to eat. But God was reminding Peter that I gave you a vision. I gave you my word to reach out to this community, but you're still held back by your culture. You're still held back by the things that the very things I've told you to overcome and go out and speak my message. The disciples had the call and the vision. They had the call, they saw the vision. And they started their mission at the home in Jerusalem. And thousands of people started getting saved. From Acts chapter 1 up to Acts chapter 12, the church was enjoying the tremendous amount of success. If you look at the book of Acts, they're saying 2,000 got saved, 3,000 got saved. This number of people were getting saved, and I want to believe that these people were so excited. You know, when you speak to people, and thousands put up their hand and say yes to Jesus. As a preacher, you feel like you, you, are, you are speaking to God directly. You feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. You feel God is... You know, sometimes as Christians, we use some words that are not existing in the Bible, that I felt the power of God, the presence of God. That's how Peter and the rest of the team were feeling. The passion of carrying out the message, the passion of reaching out to the next person, the passion of seeing people's lives transformed was real to these people. They're experiencing one conversion after another. And among the new converts of Saul, who became Paul, that the gentle centurion said Cornelius, then the highly successful work among the Gentiles and the Jews in Antioch. That was the experience for these guys. It was like Renard Bonke when he came to Nairobi in 1987, and some of us went there and People were running to get saved in front of the preacher. And some were even faking miracles just to be able to come to close to Reinhard Bonke in 1987 in Nairobi. History books have shown that this this Herod Agrippa was one of the 
First of all, the name means, the name itself scares you. The name means that one who causes great pain at his birth. That's what Agrippa means. I was trying to figure out what does this name mean? Somebody who caused so much pain for the, for the disciples. And I, was, I saw the name actually means one who causes great pain at his birth. He was, a great, he was a grandson of Herod the Great who ruled in the days of Jesus. And you can see the generation of pain towards salvation is coming. Agrippa the first was also the nephew of Herod Antipas who had a role in the trials of Jesus. To popularize his political agenda, he ordered the death of James, a disciple of Jesus, and a brother to John. Like I said, people have been getting saved. Every success has been there. Peter walks into Cornelius' house. So many people are waiting, they're putting their hands up, they're getting saved. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. But then this is happening to them. This is happening to them. I don't know how many of us, you still believe that God is still working in your life. That have you seen all that work happening in your life? You've witnessed people putting their hands up and saying yes to Jesus. And then you are dealing with these people. They want to kill you and destroy the very work that you've been working hard for. I want to imagine where Peter is seated and he's being told that your, your brother, your friend, James, has just been killed doing the work that God has called him to do. How many of us will be happy with Jesus? How many of us will think that this is still the vision, this is still the work that God has called me to do? This is still the... I've seen people say, I thought this was God. When something negative or bad happens, I've had people say, oh, we prayed about this and I thought it was God. I thought this was God. Because naturally, we associate to ourselves when, with God when things are really working so well. When people are putting their hands up and running in front. When people are lifting their hands up in worship. But you go to places where you can't even open your mouth and talk about Jesus. Or you have to run for your life. You feel like God has deserted us. God has left me. This is not God's vision. This is not God's work. My friend Peter and uh, the rest of the disciples, it was tough for them. Peter was arrested, as you see in this story. Can I have the next one, please? Yeah. For many of us, this would have been the death of the mission. And then we see Peter was seized and thrown into prison. What a sad day for the ministry 
of Christ. What a sad day. And I was reading this story, I was asking myself, if I was the rest of the team, the team leaders, one has been killed, one has been thrown into prison, I don't know that I have the energy and the grace to step out and do the work. And this is not just anybody. This is the king, and people are happy about it. This is good for his votes, for his campaign. I said last week that vision is seeing the ultimate purpose of God for your life or existence. Vision is a power to see tomorrow and in the future. My question would be, how did these people see the ultimate purpose for, of God for their lives or existence? And after learning one of their key leaders had been killed and the other one has been thrown into prison, the Bible says they were praying. They were praying. I've met people that have faced challenges, prayer, it's even hard to pray. I've seen people that have gone through hard time. I met a lady who had had miscarriages over 10 times. And she told me she can't even pray. She told me, I've tried to pray. I can't. I can't pray. Another time, a lady called me that all her five children, and I remember going for the fifth child, they used to die at the age of five or six, seven years, around that age. And she rang me one day. She told me that just come at the hospital. I remember I drove at the hospital and I walked straight to the hospital. The baby had just died and, and still in the, in, the, in the ward. They haven't actually, the doctor hasn't come to finish up. And she was crying. She couldn't understand how. And she told me I can't even pray. When challenges come our way, it's, it's hard to pray. When things come in our direction, the things that disappoint, things that frustrate us, it's hard to pray. And I tell people, sometimes because of the cost of prayer, because of praying, we take it so lightly and tell people, you know, I know God knows what I need. I don't have to pray. I tell people, prayer is so powerful. Prayer is so powerful. These people, they've seen what has happened. Peter has been put into prison. James has been killed. But I was actually encouraged to find that these people were praying. This group were praying. Today, I want to encourage us as a church. I want to encourage us that God has a vision. God has a plan and a purpose for each one of us. God's desire is to see his plan and purpose fulfilled in our lives. God's desire is to see his plan and the bigger picture he has for us fulfilled. When challenges come, when things happen on our way, he hasn't left us. He has not deserted us. He's walking beside us. He's walking with us through this journey. 
I want to encourage those of us that have had friends or relatives, or maybe you're facing something in your life, in your journey. Maybe the sickness, the doctors have told you, we can't even deal with this issue. It doesn't mean that God has left you. It doesn't mean that the plan and the purpose of God for your life is not there. God is with you. God is walking with you in that journey. So as you think about the cost of prayer, the cost of uh, vision, I want us to think about that word, prayer. I want us to think about that word. It says that friends, when you understand the cost of your vision and how much it means to you, your knees, your knees will never get tired. You never get tired of kneeling down to talk to God. But like I've said, when things happen, even prayer does not make sense for any of us. It doesn't make sense. But I want to tell you, prayer is so key in your journey of walking towards what God has prepared for you. In the doing the things that God wants, to, God wants you to have in your life. You know, you'll never apologize to your friends when your eyes become teary during your prayer time. And for me, that's the cost of Vision. When you sacrifice in front of people and, 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 and you kneel down like Hannah. Hannah was so frustrated because Hannah knew that God had a vision for her life. But Hannah, she never gave up. Everybody thought Hannah was weird. Hannah was not herself. Hannah was drunk, but she was before God. She used to go every day and cry to God. But because of her commitment, because of her prayer life, we see the young Samuel grow up and become the person that we read in the Bible. I want to tell you, the, the plan and the vision of God for each one of us is still, is still there. For some of us, even the pain of fasting is just too much. I tell people, if you know what you want to achieve, if you, if you know what you've seen and what you want to go, fasting, the pain of missing a meal even over a single day is a small cost. It's a small cost. If God doesn't invite you to fast for a day to achieve something, go for it. I'd encourage you, go for it. You'd rather miss that, that meal, but you, you do what God has asked you to do. Many times during this time, fear takes over, whereby in your heart, you're believing and trusting God for the best, but in your mind, you're expecting the worst. Maybe I'm, it's just me. Sometimes when things are really tough, you, you, you know God can provide, you know God is able, but deep in your heart, you know God, but in your mind, things are like, oh no, things may not work. Things will not happen. I, I prayed for people. 
in hospital. But I can tell you, I've gone believing God for healing, but deep in me, I know that this person knows. My, my mind is telling me, I think they're going. It's, it's, it's natural in us, you know. But what I'm saying is, it's, it's, it's natural to believe and trust God for the best, but still in your heart, expect the worst. Or even expect nothing. In the next two verses of Romans 12, I mean, Acts 12, 14, 15, you'll see how this was affecting the group that was praying. The Bible says that when, they, when she recognized, this is Rhoda, after Peter had miraculously come from prison, knocking at the door, it says that when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. See what they said in verse 15, you're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept Insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. Because of fear, yes, you are praying. They knew God can do a miracle. They knew God can change, but deep in them, they are saying, if James has gone, we don't think Peter is coming back. Peter is going. Probably he's even killed, been killed already. He's gone. And you know, many times we do that. We do that in our journey many times. We kill the vision before. Even God actually fulfilled that vision. You're already killing the vision itself. I don't think it will happen. It will never happen. It will never happen. When you used to be in the primary school, probably I think you're seven, a friend of mine used to be naughty. Naughty in the classroom. And uh, one, day, one day, because the teacher was so angry with him, he told, he told him that you will die a skeleton. Because of anger. He told him you'll die a skeleton. So we, we, we nicknamed him Skele. We call him Skele. That was his name. <laughs> And many times he, he used to believe that his life has been wasted away. He used to live life that is hopeless. He felt that he'll never amount to anything. He felt that he's, you know, it took him so many years to get out of that. Because on the streets, as young boys, we used to call him Skele from Skeleton. Skele. That was his nickname. Um, it happens. Things happen in our lives that we feel nothing will ever, ever happen again. I want to remind you, when you walk before God in prayer, when you step up and you want to lift the hearts of God, tell God, I trust you and believe and expect. Even if nothing happens, expect that God is doing something. I want to encourage all of us because fear, fear is so dangerous. 
because of the challenges around us and the things that are happening around us can create so much fear in our journey that your prayer becomes ineffective. Your prayer becomes almost useless because of what is happening around us. The circumstances that are happening around us can make our prayer life become very useless. I want to remind all of us that have a prayer partner. If you don't have one, get a prayer partner. That's why some of us are here. Give me a phone call. Call one of the elders or one of the leaders in church. Get somebody to pray with you. If you're in a situation where you can't even pray at all, it's a dangerous place to be. Ask somebody to pray with you. Ask somebody to stand with you. It's very important. Give me a phone call to pray with you. Talk to somebody to pray with you. Get a prayer partner. Be praying together. These people... John, Jim, John and Peter were special to Jesus. I mean, some of us can remember even uh, James' mom was asking for a special favor from Jesus to have James sit on one side and John to sit on one side in the special on the throne. These guys were so special to Jesus. He loved them. The Bible mentioned them many times. But Jesus promised no special protection for even his closest followers. He warned them to be ready to count the cost. I tell people we are born, we are saved by grace of God. It's by faith. But if you see what Jesus is talking here in uh, in this, he says that if anyone comes to me, it does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, even their own life. Such a person cannot be my disciple. This is not in Australia. You'll be taken to court if you hate your children. <laughs> But what I'm saying is, you know, it's a, it's a huge, it's a huge cost. In other words, Jesus is saying, if I'm not priority in your life, if I'm not number one in your life, they just forget about it. Anything else you're doing is, is useless. I'm not part of your to-do list. You know, you put here number one up to ten. You, you try and put Jesus number Jesus, number 10, number, four, number one, Bible reading, number two. He doesn't work that way. Either the him or the least. He's not part of the least. He's, he's just him. And he wants him to be number one in everything we do. He says, if your own life is in the way, you're not my disciple. If your family is in the way, you're not my disciple. If your father and mother are in the way or between me and you, you are not my disciple. It's either me or them. You have to choose me first if you want to be with them. I have determined your relationship with them. I can make your relationship with them even better. And that's why we stand here and make commitments in marriages before God because we want God to take center of our relationships. 
That's why we bring kids and our babies for dedication because we want God to be the center of our children. We bring and pray for them and dedicate them to God and say, God, yes, I've carried this child as a mother for nine months, but I want to dedicate this child for you to be number one in their life. It's called the cost. Count the cost. He goes ahead and says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundations and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, ridicule, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Isn't that true of us? We have these big pictures and images and things we want to do for God, for Christ. This big stuff that we want to do for Christ. But we don't count the cost. Many of us, you want, like I said earlier, you want to have this lovely home. You want to have this beautiful family. You want to have this nice relationship. You want to have these Christian schools all over in Australia. But you don't want to count the cost. You want to see all people in parliament give their life to Christ and say, Christ, but we can't do the cost of that. We have to go out and do it. We have to pay the cost of doing that work for that to happen. Sometimes I look at this stuff of this guy. I don't agree with everything he says, but sometimes I... I look at some of his stuff, he's called Les Brown, he said that, said this, the grave is the richest place on earth because it is here that you'll find all the hopes and dreams that were never fulfilled. The books that were never written, the songs that were never sung, the inventions that were never shared, the cures that were never discovered, or because someone was too afraid to take the first step, keep the, keeping the problem or determined to carry out their dream. You have all these beautiful ideas. Oh, you know, we can do this as a church. We can do this. We can do this. We can do that. And then you sit and do nothing. Someone said, you, if you do nothing, it will cost you. If you do something, it will cost you. Either way, it will cost you. <laughs> Some of us are still paying for the things we never did in our life when we were young. You're still paying for it. So you'd rather have done something probably would have worked for you. Because some of the things you're paying for is the things you never did when you're growing up. I was, when I was writing this message, I remembered my, my father. Um, let me talk about my grandfather. My grandfather died when he was 114 years old. 114 years old. That's when my grandfather died. And my grandfather was a village chief in our community those days during the colonial rule. My father used to be a village chief in a, in a big area. And because they were the village chief, those days people did not own title deeds because title deeds were introduced by the colonialists who came to divide and separate 
and create boundaries for land. So land was just there. You can choose. You can say, I want to live from here up to Swan Hill, and nobody will stop you because there's no boundaries. There's no title deeds. My grandfather used to be the, among the people that used to give out land, but, but he never took land for himself. He never took land for himself. So my dad grew up, and my dad never liked to have land for himself. So as children, we grew up, we actually never had enough land to do farming. Because my mom loved a bit of farming, but we never had enough land to grow food for ourselves. Like, you know, for some of us, you know, in Africa, we rely so much on land to have some food to grow for yourself. And because we never had enough land, we had to look for properties to lease out for people to get enough land for ourselves. And I grew up as a small boy blaming my dad. Why did you tell your father to get some of that land for us? And sometimes they will show us and tell you that land used to belong to your grandfather, but he gave it away. That land, you see that land over there? It used to belong to your grandfather, but he gave it to somebody else. And I used to feel so angry as a small boy. Why? I had to pay the cost of somebody who did nothing for us. I paid. We paid with our brothers the cost of that. I want to encourage you. Bring your vision into action. Bring your dreams into action. We are here. We want to walk with you in that dream. All right, the second thing I know Heather mentioned earlier about commitment. This is a course most of us don't want to even think about. Commitment. The second thing we are learning from this chapter is commitment. Commitment is one of our challenges as a church. When I was writing this, I was thinking about um, school exams. And I know Steve gave us one yesterday and I could see people were scared, you know, exams. Are, you want to do some courses, but, you know, let's not have exams at the end of the course. <laughs> and, and I was thinking, we are living in a society, we don't make commitments, you know, you don't want somebody to pin you down and say, you know, feel this thing and do this, you know, commitments is a huge thing for us. And in, in this journey, commitment is, is a big challenge for every one of us. And to encourage us to look at this story of this guy. Um, now this is a quote from Anton Robin. He says that the only limit to, the only limit to, to your impact is your imagination and commitment. And I was thinking about him, I actually looked at um, I looked at this man, Elisha. Elisha had asked for a double portion of the spirit of Elijah. Elijah's answer was, if, if Elisha saw him when he was taken away, his request would be granted. Now, Elisha's ability to receive the double portion was, to, was connected to his commitment of seeing. 
You can imagine how many times Galatia had to be following this guy everywhere. Just in case he goes, he disappears. I'm heading to Kerang. I'll be there, don't worry. I'm going to a mission in New Zealand. I'll be there with you. Because you don't know when he's going to go. I don't know how long it took, but this guy had to literally see him going to actually achieve that. And I said, that's a big commitment. How many of us will be following somebody for that long? So I want to encourage us. Let's borrow an example from this guy. Because one of us will say, I just don't have time. I don't have time to do it. And the last thing, as I finish, I think most of us need this in our life from Galatians chapter 5, 22. <laughs> Patience. Patience. Do you know nowadays, um, my mother would not allow to eat maize because we grow maize in our country. If you gave my mom and you told my mom that actually maize can grow within two months, my mother would not even accept that. Because, because of the demand and the culture now, we have actually chicken that are ready within a week, ready for eating. Because of the demand and the time we don't waste. We don't have time to waste. So you get these eggs, you put them nicely within a short time, the chooks come out within a week, whatever time is ready for chicken. We have no vegetables now. You don't need a lot of time now. Just a few weeks, you can have your vegetables ready. And we're living in a society now. Things are now, I don't have time. Patience is a big thing. And the demand. When Elijah prayed for rain, he commanded his servants to go and look seven times before the servant finally saw a cloud the size of a man's hand on the horizon. Six times he came back with the report of there is nothing. And I was asking myself, seven times, this is a man of God that is praying. And he's told me there's going to be rain. There's something. I've seen it in the spirit. And he's sending this servant, go and look for me. I'll be scared even telling him there's nothing. I don't know how many times you've been praying for your vision, for your thing. But the Bible says seven times he had to come back and say there's nothing. Back to Elijah. And some of us say, you know, we've done that before and nothing happened. You know. I accept it's patience, it's not there. <laughs> you know. God has his own ways of working things. James was killed and Peter was released from prison. Did they give up on praying because James was killed? No. They never gave up. They never gave up. My praise as a church, as a family, 
that will take patience to wait. For some of us, your vision, your goal, your staff, it could be a year or two years. For others, it could be 10 years, 20 years. When, 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 when Twitter began, people wondered what will happen with Twitter or Facebook stuff. But now guys are making millions out of these things. But it took a long time for them to, to, to be able to come that level. And as I conclude, I want to invite the worship team to come back. If I can have the worship team come back. And I want us to stand up just to, to stretch a bit. But I want us to think about it. If you can stand for a minute as the worship team comes back. In the book of John chapter 10 verse 10, the, the Bible says that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. And my prayer that my prayer is that we'll not allow the challenges of life, the things that happen around us, the fears, steal from us the plan, the, the things that God has planned for each one of us. Like I've said, God has a plan for each of, each of you. God has a plan and a purpose for each one of us. God has a plan and a purpose for this church. God has a plan and a purpose for his people. But we need to pray as a church. We need to pray as individuals. We need to move into prayer and see God what he's doing. We need to commit ourselves to work with God and make sure that these things are fulfilled. We need that commitment and we need patience. We need to ask God to give us patience to be able to wait and see what is in the way he's moving. I said early, for many of us, you desire to see a church that is, is all growing, being transformed. You want to see your family that are all growing in the Lord and, and, and serving Christ. You want to see our community change. We want to see our country changed. We want to, we don't, the things you are telling God, I don't see this, I want to see this. It's a good desire. It's a good vision. But without prayer, without a commitment, without patience, putting all that into the cost of what it's going to do for us, it will cost us double of what we are doing at this particular time. When you look at our children right now, if you look at the statistics, it's showing that 10 years ago, 10 years ago, we had probably 50, 60% of a lot of Australians going to church. And now he's talking about close to 30% probably after COVID. The numbers are changing very fast. If you do nothing, it will still cost us. It will cost you and I to try and get it back, jumpstart the battery that has gone flat. It would cost us to dig this farm that has all gone and grown up with weeds and everything. It would cost us double to try and, and get to this bush that is, is all with, with thorns and stuff to, get, to clean it and make it better. I want you to pray with me and ask God, what is it as a family, as a church we need to do, to do something in, for our community, for our children, for our country, for our society. Father, thank you. Lord, thank you for this church. The many that have walked in this place, they have a desire to see change. They have the passion 
They have faith in you that change can happen. But Lord, they're waiting for you to do something. But deep in my heart, I know you've already done something. You've already commissioned us. You've already assigned us. You've sent us to do something. You've asked us to go out. You've sent your Holy Spirit to lead us. You've sent your message. You've given us your Bible to do something. And I'm to pray today that we'll not just sit and do nothing. We'll just, we'll not wait and do nothing. Because we know, God, that you have a plan and a purpose for our church. And today I want to pray for each and every person today who is listening to me. I want to pray that, God, you will help us to do our part and step out and do something. God, I want to pray for our children. I want to pray for our families. I want to pray for our extended people. I want to pray for our community. I want to pray, God, that may you help us to bring alive that vision that you put in our hearts, oh God. That may your name be continually, each and every time, to be declared in this place, O oh God. I pray for each and every person here, especially those that have given up in their dreams and visions, Father. I pray, Lord, may you renew their energy, may you renew their dreams back. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.